Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Raiders! Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. Coming up at 3.30, Coach Scott Spinelli, former college hoops coach, now college hoop analyst, will join us at 3.30 again to talk NBA Finals Game 3, Celtics Warriors. Who you got? I got the dubs, but I don't feel good about it. I'll tell you that right now. I do think that they uh, split the series. Uh, I think they split with uh, Boston. Uh, I think Boston will probably win tonight, though. I just kind of gut feeling tells me that Boston's going to take this game three and then the Warriors will take game four and head back to San Francisco. But uh, we'll talk all things NBA Finals coming up at 3.30. But right now we've been talking about the pressure that Coach uh, McDaniels may or may not have in 2022. I don't think it's extreme. Uh, my, my gut feeling is there's some slight pressure. And look, Coach McDaniels is going to put pressure on himself. Uh, anyone who's worth the salt in anything is going to put pressure on themselves. Hell, we have Paul Gutierrez on the show just a little while ago. Uh, I'm sure he puts pressure on himself to make sure he, he d- delivers the best that he does for ESPN or anything that he's writing or anytime he's on the radio or anytime he's on TV. I mean, anyone who's worth the salt at what they do puts pressure on themselves. Hell, I put pressure on myself when I get up out of bed. I want to make sure that everything is done correctly, right? And if I don't do it right, DeMond will tell you, I've been in the studio where I've had a bad segment. I was like, that segment sucked, and I'll be angry. And nobody else will even notice that it sucked, except for me. But that's just, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. And, and that's what most people in any job that, again, that they care about and is worth the salt. Now, I mean, if they're pumping gas and don't give a rip about it, they don't, you know, they don't care about that. But, you know, for the most part, if you care about something, you're going to put, you know, add some pressure to it yourself. But just, you know, with the talent that the Raiders have, with, uh, you know, the fact that they were a 10-win team, went to the playoffs, lost to the Bengals, but, you know, had a very good shot at the end to, uh, to you know, to even go down there and tie the game. There's got to be some kind of pressure. So I've just been throwing it out there to you to, to ask you what your thoughts are at 702-365-9200 in the Salmon Ash text line, 69187, keyword R&R. We were talking because Raider Fish brought up the special teams coach, and I was talking about Tom McMahon, and I said, yeah, uh, you know, he comes over from Denver, and people in Denver weren't, weren't upset to see him leave. And he really didn't have a great track record when he was in Denver. And, uh, you know, it was also brought up that he didn't have a great track record when he was in Indianapolis. And then we got a text message that said uh, – they also got the Packers special teams coach. He didn't have a great day against the 49ers last year in the playoffs, which just happens to be where Coach Rich Basaccia went. He went to Green Bay to be the special teams coach because they did not have a very good day special teams-wise when you look at the Packers and the 49ers, and that's Maurice Strait, and now he's an assistant special teams coach with the Raiders. So, yeah, I think that unit in general, I think there's definitely some pressure to go along with those guys to make sure that they continue to have their all-pro kicker and punter and, uh, you know, a special teams unit perform at a very high level. But we want to hear from you, Fargo Raider. You're up first. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Hey, Q and Demond, thank you for taking my call. Um, to that point, though, we, we couldn't keep Bisaccia, you know? Right. Facts. Unfortunately, we had to let him go. You could, he was right. too beloved, and he did too much. So Right. Agreed. I know they didn't want to see him go, and those are probably the best options floating around out there. I'm not too thrilled either. That was a great point that he made. Um, but getting back to the topic that you had laid out, ABA hit it on the head, you know. And like you were saying, of course, 
McDaniels is going to put pressure on himself. It's a commitment to excellence is what we preach right. in the Raider Nation. Right. So that's what we want. But I, I think the pressure isn't really there, you know, okay. like, realistically speaking. As the Raider Nation, we're ravenous for wins. We want the glory again. We want those days that we're told by the OGs of the nation that were so great. I'm a younger guy, so I didn't get to experience that. So I get it. But we also have been used to disappointment. So we understand that it's the first year of the install. It might not be out there. But the national media hasn't given us any credit. They got us in fourth in the division. The sports books got us winning six and a half, maybe. So realistically speaking, the pressure I don't think is really there because nobody expects anything on this. But that's, a good one. That's, that's okay. A good point. I like that chip on the shoulder. I like to be the underdog. That's been our role for decades now, and I don't think we should underappreciate that. That's a great. And then, um, that's a great point. Yes, sir. And then um, coming back to what uh, Paul was saying, I loved it. I've always been a DMAC guy, and I remember that season. DMAC was leading the league, even above AP to week six when he got hurt, but inevitably it was always that foot injury. Yep. And Damon, the fight game, man, love hearing it. You guys crack me up. You and Jared, I don't know. Hearing them just cackle in the background kills me every time. <laughs> thank you guys for taking my call. You have a great day. Fargo Raider, thank you for the call, my man. I was a big D-Mac guy too, man. When the Raiders drafted him, I was fired up. I was pretty pumped up just because of what he was able to do with uh, at Arkansas with Felix Jones. I uh, thought he was fantastic. I always remember the rumor that Jerry Jones wanted to trade up and get Darren McFadden, uh, but he didn't. He ended up obviously with uh, with uh, uh, on Jones with Felix Jones, and then at some point in Darren McFadden's career, ends up in Dallas anyway with the Cowboys. So Jerry Jones was very happy. Anytime he can get an Arkansas guy, he's all for that. Uh, unfortunately for Darren McFadden, it's just the story of his career with the Raiders was injuries. Just couldn't stay healthy. I'm sure that that uh, dirt that he was playing on half the season there at the Coliseum didn't help. I'm sure that the practice facility there at the Coliseum or in Alameda didn't help, but he just is one of those guys, man. Those foot injuries just couldn't shake him. So uh, that's unfortunate. But I like your I like your points on the on the pressure or the lack of pressure that there's not really going to be there. Uh, but I, I just – I think now maybe there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of pressure from the fan base, which doesn't do anything. I mean, you don't have to worry about what the fans think. Uh, if you think like the fans, you end up being a fan, right? You end up sitting with the fans. So I don't think that he's going to worry about that. But you know, I mean, as a fan myself, I could tell you, you know, hey, the playoffs are nice. It's nice to go to the playoffs, you know, to have a big gap from the time that they went to the Super Bowl to 2016. And obviously in 2016, nobody believed that there was a realistic shot that they were going to make a run in the playoffs, especially me, because you knew Derek Carr wasn't there. And then all of a sudden to make that, that playoff uh, appearance last season, it's like, hey, man, I can get used to this. It's like, it's like when you go somewhere and you have a really good meal and you're like, man, I like this. I can, like I had a bone-in ribeye for the first time when I was in Texas, and I was like, I like this. Now if you take me to a steakhouse, I'm getting nothing but a bone-in ribeye, even if I can't afford it. That's what I'm going to get. I'm just going to be like, hey, that's what I want because I like it. So now I can't go back to whatever cheap thing I was getting because a bone-in ribeye is where it's at. So it's like your expectations rise, right? Once you get a little taste of something, maybe that's just me. But <laughs> maybe that's why I'm broke because I start getting <laughs> – damn it, Mama Q. Mama Q did that to me. She gave me uh, that expensive taste, and I can't help myself now. You know, I got a little taste of something. I don't know how to act. <laughs> but, but, sir, it's $200. I don't care. That's all right. We'll figure out how to pay for it later. <laughs> oh, man. Unbelievable. Let's talk to our guy, D, in South Carolina. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, D? Hey, thanks for having me, man. For sure. I, um, I kind of tend to um, agree with you. 
I think there should be some sort of pressure on uh, McDaniel's to um, for the Raiders to at least play well. I think I, I think we can win nine, ten, eleven games. Okay. Yes, I think we've got a playoff team. Um, I think more so important than the number of wins. Again, I think that it's important that we play well uh, as far as McDaniel goes. I don't think we can go out there and 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 get the brakes beaten off of us, stink up the joint six, seven, eight games this year. I'd be worried, and um, so yeah, I think there should be some pressure for us to at least play well. I think we've just got too much talent, especially on offense, to um, you know, just to go out there and lay an egg for the entire season. So right. that's my take. Hey, thank you for the call. Good stuff. And yeah, I mean, again, when you come off a season that you just had and you and you add talent to the roster like the Raiders did, you feel like okay, this team's going to take a step forward. But again, I and I hate. Yeah's and butts and ands and butts and all that other stuff. But you do realize, and I realize, that the division got better. Uh, Kansas City, I'm interested to see what they look like. Because I know that they're downplaying, oh, you know, Tyreek Hill, there's all these other weapons, and Andy Reid is a genius, yada, yada, yada. Look, man, if you don't think Tyreek Hill is a big deal, then you're a fool. You know, I mean, straight up. Tyreek Hill is a game changer. Regardless, he's one of those dudes that even without the ball in his hands, he's making, he's making plays. He's similar to, and I'm not saying the exact, but he's similar to what Steph Curry does for the Warriors. Even without the ball in his hands, he changes the game for everyone else around him. Tyreek Hill does that. And so without Tyreek Hill, I think Kansas City is going to be – well, I know that they're going to look a little different. You know what I mean? They're going to look different. They're not going to be, in my opinion, as explosive as they are. Does that mean they're not going to be good? No, not at all. I think they're going to be really good. But it's just going to be a different good. Sometimes you've got to adjust the way you play. Just, sometimes you've got to adjust your style. Obviously, their style, in my opinion, is going to change without Tyreek Hill. But how much will it change? How much of an effect will it have? That remains to be seen. The Chargers, how many years have we talked about, oh, man, you better watch out, Chargers are going to be good this year. And they have all the pieces. On paper, it looks great. But as we know, on paper, you win nothing. So who knows what they're going to do. In Denver, I got questions about Denver. I know their quarterback is really good. I know that they have good wide receivers. Jerry Judy, I believe, is going to be a fantastic wide receiver. I know he's got other good weapons around there. I know they got a good run game. They're supposed to have a really good defense. But they also have a rookie head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. So, you know, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of questions. But then at the same time, when you take a step back and you look from a distance, you're like, yeah, there's a lot of questions. But, man, that's a really good division. And most people expect this division to be the best division in football. Let's talk to our guy, Shields Up. Speaking of Denver, Shields Up, what's on your mind? Welcome to the show. How we doing? Chilling, man, chilling. Devon, I hope everything is well. My compliments, man, on, on today's topic. I've been waiting for this. We got <laughs> through the Ziegler phase with the GM. Yep. And now we're on to McDaniels. And, and of course, there's pressure. Um, I got them looking at the schedule, 10 to 12 wins. Okay. okay, which now if you look at it, okay, we win the division but lose the first playoff game. We don't win the division and get to the conference championships. So either way, I think it's 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 not that that criteria right there is is to me is is there's no pressure and he's getting the job done. Um, and that's all I gotta say. I'll keep it short. And shields up, man. Take care, bro. Hey, thanks for the call, my man. I appreciate you. So uh, there you go, Damon. Uh, you heard right there from Shields Up. Uh, what were you thinking? Did you shake me off? Yes, I did. 
Why'd you take me off? Because I'm texting Lincoln right yeah, now. Yeah, see? Everyone, no one ever knows why I do things. Why I do what I do because I do what I do. So I'm sitting here, take a, peel the curtain back a little bit. So Shields Up is talking, and we're uh, me and, and Damon are on this Google Meets thing right now. So I can see into the studio. So I'm staring at him right now, and he's totally on his phone. So I decide that I'm going to be a jerk. And I was like, hey, so what did you think about what Shields Up had to say? I can't read your phone. Oh, yeah, I can read it now. <laughs> he's, he's literally texting uh, Lincoln Kennedy right now, but it's so funny. Uh, he had no idea what you said, Shields Up. But <laughs> I agree with your take on the pressure. <laughs> I, I understand your take on the pressure. I just had to take a moment and embarrass my guy, Damon, real quick. That's what we do, man. That's how iron sharpens iron, brother. <laughs> Raider Mac, <laughs> you're up next. What's on your mind? Welcome to the show. <laughs> you're going to you going to put him on or no? Yeah, I'm on. Oh, okay. I thought DeMond was messing up again, yeah, Raider Mac. I'm, I'm here for hey, you, brother. No, no. DeMond, is, DeMond is the truth, man. I love that dude, man. He, he, hey, without him, that show, this show ain't going nowhere. That dude, he, he's the backbone of the show, so y'all better not forget this. Hey, Thank you. Hey, Q. <laughs> check this out, the man. check's in the mail you, for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Okay. You were gone to, to Hawaii for a little while, and he was – he was he was he was doing his thing, but anyway, <laughs> hey, two. Okay, so here's my thing. There's no pressure on on Josh McDaniels. All the pressure is on on Derek Carr, and okay. I'm going to tell you why the pressure is on him. There's a pressure because you everybody's been saying he didn't have this, he hasn't had that, he hasn't had a top ten defense since he's been in there. I, I'm hearing what what ESPN and them saying. But here, here's my biggest thing. Josh McDaniel don't have no pressure his first year. And Mark Davis don't put pressure on, on people. He's not the type of owner like Jerry Jones and those other owners. He don't put pressure on, on his, his – um, even as bad as Gruden, all the stuff Gruden did, if it wasn't for the NFL, Gruden would be still here because he wasn't going to let Gruden go till, the, till that, all that stuff surfaced. And second thing I want to uh, say is that uh, – the one, the number one thing I think the problem we're gonna have in the division is not not the schedule, but the the, the defenses in, in that division are, are 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 gonna be pretty good. Everybody's underestimating our defense and the rest of the defense in this division. Don't sleep on them. Don't sleep on them. And last thing, um, can you can you tell me what why? McDaniels won't let let the media and the fans and all that come to practice. I'm, I'm not I'm not understanding. We've been doing it for years. Are they going to change the change it for the uh, for the um, when when the seasons? I'm not the season, but when uh, many when the camps open up and I'm I'm done with done with it. Thank you for giving me the time to call. Yeah, I appreciate the call, my man. Good stuff, Raider Mac. And uh, as far as you know, McDaniel's and you know how he has the media far away from what they're doing. I mean, that's just that's just what he does. You know, he did the same thing in Denver. Uh, they did the same thing in New England. That's just, I mean, that's just kind of what they do. That's what the regime prefers to do. Uh, I know that there will be some fans, or I believe there'll be some fans there at training camp at some point. I don't know how they'll navigate then, and who knows what they're going to do with the media uh, meeting us uh, at at training camp. We don't know. Right now, we're just going through OTAs and mandatory mini camp so by the time they get to training camp maybe it'll be a little bit different maybe it won't i mean this is all learning process for us this is a learning process for everybody because it's a brand new regime uh, again i mean we joke about it we laugh about it it's at the end of the day i mean we're going to find a way to get the job done we're still going to bring you the best coverage uh if there's only a three minute window to to take pictures and and videos then we'll 
video and picture for three minutes. If there's four or five minutes, fine. We'll, I mean, we'll adjust. Just like players have to adjust to a new regime, uh, we'll adjust in the way that we cover things, but we'll make sure that we get the job done because that's exactly what we're supposed to do. Um, I forget what the other part was because we were talking about McDaniels. Uh, this, you know, I, saw, I forgot what the other part was, but – there you go. And I know, Damon, you weren't paying attention. Damon being the backbone, all those things. Yeah, that, you talking about that? No. Oh. Me, no, not at all. Not at all. I, you tell, tell your cousin that you put the, the money in the mail, man. You know, you, you'll get it there at some point. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Raider Mac, I definitely appreciate you. Let's get one more call. We'll take a break. Mitch in New Jersey, what's on your mind? Welcome to the show. Thank you. What's up, my man? I didn't kill you. You got your, your seatbelt on, right? Yeah, yeah seatbelt's yeah. always on, man. On my mind. Okay. <laughs> I feel I feel the pain. I, oh, I can't stand going to them. Even I want numbness. Even when they drill the fill cavity, oh, I feel that that crumping. But yeah, I, my mind. I was uh, thinking about that Seinfeld episode. Kramer, mm-hmm. he's drilling water, and Jimmy talking to the third person. You know, Mitch, <laughs> thinks, Mitch doesn't think um, coaches got a lot of pressure. If we make it a little easier for your job, you go get um, OB three. OBJ and also Dominic Sue, I believe they're both out there for easy. That'd be some team. I know Kansas City's to take a little drop, but that quarterback, he's the 21st century of uh, Dan Marino. Okay. So, uh, they, so they're okay, but at the charge uh, are our biggest uh, worry there. If you want to say that's worrying. But that's okay. our biggest competition at division. Great division. Thanks for taking my call. All right, I love that. I love the skittles. I love that. Uh, I feel that that the war, the drooling, that's the start. Yeah, you had me cracking up. You know, I gotta drive home. <laughs> well, that's good, man. I'm glad you got some entertainment there, uh, Mitch in New Jersey with the call. Appreciate you, my man. And uh, yeah, I, I I tell you, I don't know what's worse when you're in the dentist. I don't know if it's actually the drilling or the sound of the drill. I don't know which is worse because the sound they numb me up, right? And then all of a sudden I heard the sound and I kind of just like clenched my fist up, like, oh, this is gonna hurt. But now it didn't. It didn't hurt. But it's just that sound. It's it's almost like uh, you know the fingernails on a child. Like it physically doesn't hurt you, but man, it messes with your mental, don't it? It really does mess with your mental. So there you go, Michigan, New Jersey. Thank you for the call. I do appreciate you. You said we got one more call tomorrow. You want to get to? Yeah, let's get Gangster Raider in here. Gangster, Gangster, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Hey, yay! I just want to say I think he's under immense pressure, but it's not the bad kind of pressure. It's good pressure because. He inherited a 10-win team, a playoff team, you know what I'm saying? And even though his last head coaching job wasn't the best, he, he picked it. Oh, did we lose like him? I said, oh, when he first is. got hired. Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, I said, like like, like I said, when he first got hired, I thought he was a weasel or whatever because of how, they, how you know, he got accused in a few cheating scandals and how he backed out of Indianapolis or whatever. But picking this opportunity in Vegas with the squad that we got and the potential um, chance to win a division, and I don't think the division improved as much as everybody else did because, like you were saying, Q, Denver, um, they lost Noah Fant. They lost um, – the defense coordinator, um, Fangio, you know what I'm saying, the, the, the yeah. defensive guy. They got a rookie head coach, you know what I mean? And um, Kansas City lost Tariq Hill, so 
how did they improve? You know what I mean? And, can't, and, and the um, Los Angeles Chargers, I think they just doing knee-jerk reactions because they tired of losing us. So they went out and got Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson or Casey Jackson, whatever, because they tired of losing us. And when we beat them in the first game of the season, and then if they lose to Kansas City, they starting off 0-2, all that Charger hype going to be out the window. But you know what I'm saying? I think he picked the perfect opportunity, so he's under good pressure because other than Andy Reid, I think he's the best coach in the division. And when we, if he beats him and – um. Kansas City, the first time we played him, then he'll have another advantage in. So I think he's under a lot of pressure, but it's good pressure. You know what I mean? And especially if he can live up to it because with the squad, he never had a squad like this in New England. You know what I mean? And also, he never really won being a head coach. He was always in Bill Belichick's shadow. You know what I'm saying? So that's a lot of pressure, too, to show that he can win without Bill Belichick. So I think he's under immense pressure, but it's good pressure because he picked the right squad to do it with. You know what I mean? And also, I think the uh, organization's finally caught up with the fans because the fans, we've been world-class. We show up, we take over stadiums, whether we winning or losing. You know what I'm saying? So we finally got the organization to match the fans, and that's the pressure. That's, that's good pressure. You know what I'm saying? Because like they said, we've been through the desert, and now we finally arrived to a, a good destination, and he needs to take us over to line so we can get that fourth trophy in that nighttime Super Bowl parade in, in Vegas. You know what I'm saying? So that's good pressure to have. That's what, But it's the miss good pressure. You understand what I'm saying, Q? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good stuff, my man. Thank you for the call. Appreciate you. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some good pressure. And, and you're right. I mean, as far as the weapons that he has to work with, he really hasn't had those kind of weapons. Now, he had a quarterback named Tom Brady who was pretty stinking good. So that's one thing. But, I mean, the weapons around him are, are next-level weapons. I mean, they really are. And so it's going to be interesting to see how quickly they can gel. When you have a Darren Waller, when you have a Hunter Renfro, when you have a Devontae Adams, that's a three-headed monster. And so, again, as Paul pointed out in the first hour, he's talking about he was interested in Darren Waller because everyone's talking about, you know, hey, 50 catches is fine as long as we're winning games. That's great. You know, that's the, the company line, and everyone's going to stick to it. But uh, as Paul pointed out, you know, you think Clutch Sports wants him only to catch 50 passes? You think that that's not going to help them drive up the price of his contract? And, I mean, look, he doesn't deserve to be the 17th highest paid tight end he should be up there in the top three he should be wherever david and joku is this is what i'd write in my contract if i'm darren waller wherever Dar david and joku is i'm above him at all times i am never below david and joku you know that's what they do with uh what franchise quarterbacks you know when when a quarterback signs a deal it's like okay uh if if a certain quarterback gets higher than me or or i get below i get an automatic raise if i'm darren waller i'd be like look this is what i have to do Anytime David Njoku gets a raise, I'm getting a raise too. That dude should never be ahead of me. And right now Njoku, and it sounds like I hate him, but I don't. He's just not that great. Uh, he's, you know, he's the fifth highest paid tight end in the league, and Waller's 17th. I mean, that is incredible. So that's why I think it's really important that it gets taken care of, he gets taken care of, the business with him gets taken care of uh, sooner rather than later so they can go out there and handle their business and have that three-headed monster and give them a chance and give Josh McDaniels a chance. You know, I mean, he's the play caller. Give him a chance to go out there and have all those weapons at his disposal. And a quarterback like Derek Carr, who, by the way, you can win with. You know, uh, he doesn't have to be the best quarterback in the league. He doesn't have to be elite, but you can win with this quarterback. There's no mistake in that. I know that he's not everyone's cup of tea, and that's fine. But I know for a fact, if you go through the history of Super Bowls and Super Bowl winners, you can win with Derek Carr. And something I said when I first arrived here in Las Vegas, I said that quarterback, Matt Stafford, who's playing in L.A., in my opinion, wasn't that much better than Derek Carr. And I still, in my opinion, believe he's not that much better than Derek Carr. I believe they're very similar. Just my opinion. And I don't mind anyone saying that I'm wrong. That's okay. 
I know my man Tom used to text me all the time and tell me I was wrong. That's okay. I have no problem with that. I just think statistically and just from the body of work, they're not that much different. Now, Stafford got himself a, a new team, went to L.A. They had some great weapons around him, a really good play caller in Sean McVay, and they went out and won the whole damn thing. And, oh, by the way, their defense is phenomenal. You know, they have some big-time playmakers on that defense, including Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. So, I mean, the, the, the team was built around him, and Stafford went out there and, and played ball. And you got to give him a lot of credit. When they needed a couple of passes thrown, when they needed a couple big-time passes, he was able to make them. And that's what, you know, really separates certain guys from other guys. Like, can you step up and can you make that big-time throw when need be? Matt Stafford last season, to his credit, proved that he can. Now, if Derek Carr's in that situation this season, he's got to prove that he can. The only, the only reason I'll say that I believe he can is because every time that he's had to come back and he's been close, he's come back and won games more times than he hasn't. That's just facts. Now, let's see what he does with Josh McDaniels. Don't want to hype it up too much, but just what we've seen – He's been able to do, so uh, we'll leave that at that. If you want to chime in on the conversation, text us at 69187, keyword R&R. We'll get to that, but coming up next, Coach Scott Spinelli, former college hoops coach. He's going to join us to talk all things NBA Finals. Game number three, Celtics and Warriors. This is Raider Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy, Q. Got plenty more on the way when it comes to the silver and black and all things NFL. But right now we want to turn our attention to the NBA Finals. Game number three, it's all knotted up at one. It's back in Boston now. I'm seeing on the TV right now, I'm seeing the guys warming up, the Celtics and the Warriors. And to help us get a better idea of what we should expect tonight in game three, we have Coach Scott Spinelli on the phone line, former college hoop coach, college analyst, part of the Believe Podcast Network. And, Coach, thanks so much for your time this afternoon. We appreciate you. And uh, the series is all tied up, tied up at one between Boston and Golden State. What kind of adjustments do you believe that Coach Adoka is going to make for the Celtics as they enter game three tonight? Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to be on the show. Um, but I think tonight's game, look, this is a series of adjustments, right? We saw what happened from game one to game two as it relates to what Golden State did in terms of making the adjustment uh, defensively, especially on Horford and not letting him even get a three-point shot off in game two where he made six in game one. Uh, in this game, I think the most important part for the Celtics is to recognize that Golden State is not going to allow them to get clean three-point shots. Look, Tatum and Brown will get theirs because they're good enough to get their shot off against anybody. Um, but with that, I think what Golden State's made an emphasis on is really pressuring the basketball, crowding the Celtic offensive players, uh, and then making them drivers. Their two-point field goal percentage was worse than their three-point field goal percentage uh, in, in the last game. And I think that's going to be part of what the Celtics are going to need to adjust to in that they're going to have to take what the defense gives them, meaning drive the ball, play off two feet, kick to the open person, open man, and then maybe even a hockey assist where they kick it and then it leads to another pass that leads to an assist. But they certainly can't force three-point shots. That would be one thing I think they'll adjust. And the second thing is that third quarter, right? they got to the second half, especially that third quarter, we've seen both games one and game two where Golden State has just throttled them uh, in, in the third quarter, and they've got to be ready to go uh, when that third quarter uh, ball gets inbounded 
and uh, ready to play on both ends of the floor mentally. How much does it help the Celtics that they have been absolutely battle-tested from the first series to this series? It's been a dogfight the whole way through. I think you go back to even the regular season finale, and I think people forget this, right? When everybody looks back at this season, you look at that last game in the regular season where the Celtics were going to play, I believe, um, down at um, Memphis, and where the Celtics played their regular players. They already had clinched the playoff spot, um, and they went out and they beat them that day. The Grizzlies didn't play uh, their starters or didn't play most of them during the game. Whereas, uh, on the contrary, Milwaukee went and did not play their starters and got beat. And thus, the Celtics ended up getting the home court uh, in that series. And I think it really speaks to who the Celtics are. They're a very uh, well-coached team. Uh, I think Coach Ume Adoka uh, and his staff have done an incredible job at you know making the necessary changes. I think, uh, obviously, dating back to what Danny Ainge did with the foundation, now what Brad Stevens has done in terms of completing the roster. They're a very complete team. Um, and I think to see a team like that that has star power, but those stars make the right play and not necessarily out there just looking to fire up basketballs to get their statistics. They're playing the game to win. So again, I think from the, the last regular season game um, to what they've done in terms of the roster and then as, a, as it relates to these battle-tested games, uh, you know, to your point, they have gone through some very difficult games here, um, and I think they are prepared for this. But again, Golden State is a championship team. Once a champion, always a champion. The Celtics are going to have to beat them to get that championship. Again, we're talking with Coach Scott Spinelli here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man, Damon Cotton's got one for you. Yeah, Coach, when it comes to defending Steph Curry on the pick and roll, what's the best coverage to give him? Would it be a hard hedge just switching on everything? Because I've seen a couple of times from Boston that, that the man that screener, let's say Daniel Tice, he's just back and drop, and Curry's stepping up and knocking down an open three. So what's the best way to defend Steph on the pick and roll? Well, I think that's a, that's a question that you really got to kind of answer based on where the screen is and how it occurs, right? So, for example, one through four, meaning for the audience, usually your point guard through your forward switch one through four, any ball screen or handoff cover, dribble handoffs in terms of their coverages. Uh, with the Celtics, and you made this point, especially between the pipes, right, the lane lines um, is usually drop coverage where if the five-man sets the screen and a guy like, you know, uh, Tice or whoever it may be is in drop coverage, you know, that defensive guard for the Celtics has to punch over that screen and try to get in front of the Golden State offensive player. And Golden State is so well drilled, they snake that screen and drop coverage, to your point. And what Steph Curry does then when he gets him on his hip, he's able to kind of free himself, whether it's a little sidestep or a step back and shoot that shot. But look, if, if you're asking me what I believe to be the best coverage with a guy like Steph Curry, I think you have to switch one through five. I think when you switch, you have to increase pressure on the basketball. And at the same time, you've got to be in those positions where you're at the elbows and boxes ready to give help because Steph is not only capable of making threes, but as you saw last game, if you don't guard the basketball, you don't guard your yard, he will drive right by you and make a play for his teammates. So uh, I, I'm a big switch one through five guy. And I think, again, against a guy like Curry, you almost have to do that. Coach, uh, how much attention or how much – too much attention has Draymond Green brought to himself as he prepares for this game tonight? 
well, look, guys, we got to love the way he plays, right? I mean, yes. he's a throwback to the 80s and, and 90s. And, and, you know, it's not just the fact that he plays with that chip on his shoulder and that infectious energy, right? I mean, think back to when Rodman and some of the guys, I mean, we remember Bill Lambeer out here. Mm-hmm. He was just a hated figure. Kurt Rambis was a hated figure in Boston <laughs> for many years with those Celtic Lake rivalries. But, you know, Draymond does so much for their team. He's a star in his role, and he's not necessarily concerned about scoring. Uh, he just does whatever he needs to do to help his team win. And to me, the biggest adjustment Golden State's made this year, if you really watch him, was when they went small and they went with him at the five. Well, he's almost like a point guard, a point five man out there, where not only is he skilled enough, he makes the right basketball plays, a very smart, savvy guy who's got tremendous skill with them with that great experience. And then you add the fact that on the defensive end of the floor, you know, and when they're switching with that small lineup, one through five, he takes it personally to get down in the stance and really guard the basketball. So, look, I, I think the attention is deservingly uh, so because I think, uh, you know, Draymond brings so much to the Golden State Warriors in terms of impacting winning in a lot of ways. He really does. I've called him the engine of the Warriors for a very long time. And on the flip side, I've said that about Marcus Smart. I think he provides that same. He's very similar, in my opinion, to Draymond Green. What, what do the Celtics need from Marcus tonight? That's a heck of a point, too. I agree with you. I think the Celtics really, their heart and soul, uh, I think they feed off, uh, to your point, Marcus Smart and his energy, right? Um, and, you know, and, and just to not just to add something to that, when you think about the NBA, there's not a lot of guys or there's not enough guys that assume those roles, and it's a great for the audience of the younger players out there. Everybody's looking at being that guy that has to score a certain amount of points, and they define themselves as playing well by their points. Look, you could be a star in the role that you play for your team, and it might not necessarily be scoring, but Marcus Smart is a tremendous defender. I think you know he's that guy out there that needs to value the basketball. I think if they're not turning the ball over, meaning live ball turnovers, where Golden State gets that steal and then they get an advantage break. I think that's a huge part of what Golden State did in Game 2 uh, to beat the Celtics. So Marcus is going to have to be very solid with the basketball, going to have to defend like he always does. He makes and takes tough shots. He's got that toughness to him. Um, and just bring that Marcus Smart energy, uh, a la Draymond Green, and what he does for Golden State. Yeah, Coach, um, one of the things about you mentioned both teams going small, how they can both be successful with smaller lineups. But for the Celtics particularly, which lineup, which one through five do you think is, has been the most successful in these finals? Ooh, that's a tough question, but I think they could go a lot of different ways, right? I mean, when you look at the Celtic roster, uh, the one thing, and I think this is really kind of standard, um, you know, for, for what the NBA is right now. Because if you really think about it, as a league right now, it really is about versatility and about skill. Uh, and I think if you're building a roster with those old school, you know, five men like we used to see back in the day, the Mutumbos and the Ewings, unless they're skilled bigs, it's really hard for them to play because of the three-point line and where the NBA is gone uh, this day and age. But, you know, when you look at the Celtics, I mean, look, when Tatum's out there, you know, obviously Horford, um, you know, Williams is a guy that you can play with against, you know, Looney, that you take him out and play him sparingly. But I like the Tatum, Horford, Smart, Brown, and I got to be honest, I love when White comes in the game. I think when Derek White comes in for the Celtics, that lineup, to me, 
uh, is phenomenal. And look, they're getting a lot of contributions from a lot of those guys off the bench. I mean, White has been fantastic. He's a two-way player, so he not only plays offensive, uh, you know, the offensive side of the ball, he defends very well. I mean, Pritchard's been really good, uh, you know, for them too in terms of making and taking some tough shots. Uh, but, you know, Grant Williams obviously could be that undersized five man if they want to play with him because he does switch. So I think any of those six guys would take in Williams out. So Tatum, Horford, Smart, Brown, White, and Williams. And I think you kind of either take, you know, uh, Horford and Williams out um, with those other four guys. I think you've got a tremendous versatile lineup that can match up with Golden State. I agree 100%. I really like what White brings to the table, and it's nice to see him healthy. When he was in San Antonio, it wasn't healthy, but to see him out there healthy right now, he's really playing a heck of a role for the Boston Celtics. And, Coach, before we let you go, I wanted to ask, if you're coaching Clay Thompson, and we know he's one of the best shooters to ever do it, but he's in a slump right now. You can see he's kind of forcing shots. What do you tell him as far as how to help him get back on track? Well, the biggest thing is, right, you know, just so he understands that as a coach you believe in him and you're confident in his abilities, and you don't make too much of a big deal about it um, in terms of him missing shots because you know that he's proven over his you know, his time in the NBA that he's one of the best shooters maybe ever to play in the league. And so, yeah, every player goes through some, some times like this, especially as a shooter, and I think the most important thing is to continue to let him know that you believe in his ability to make shots um, to also understand that, you know, hey, look, I'm not going to get down if you miss a shot or don't drop your head. Uh, and the other side of that as a coach, and you guys probably know this too, is, hey, look, if you feel like you can't make a shot or two, get yourself going in another way. Maybe drive to the basket, draw a foul, maybe make a mid-range shot. Uh, sometimes when they, you see the ball go through the rim, you know, that will get his confidence too. But I, I think you just got to continue to keep letting him know that you believe in his abilities. Well, I know the Warriors definitely believe in Clay Thompson, one of the Splash Brothers. Now they got three of them with, with Jordan Poole as well. And, Coach, thank you so much for your time this evening. It was great. Uh, do you have any gut feeling on the game tonight, or are you going to sit back and just watch and see how it unfolds? i tell you what, guys. My heart is with the Celtics just because of obviously being from back here and, yeah. you know, uh, you're rooting them on. I, I just think Golden State, uh, you know, they're just – until you can beat a championship team, and then they're going to have to do it. They did it against Milwaukee. Uh, they've shown they can beat, you know, a championship caliber team. This is not going to be an easy challenge for the Celtics. I do think they're capable, but I think Golden State right now still has the edge, although I'm rooting hard for the Celtics. Hey, fair enough. We appreciate the honesty, Coach. Thanks so much for your time. Great breakdown. We appreciate you. We'll, we'll catch up soon. Appreciate you guys having me. Have a good night, okay, guys? Take you care. too. Enjoy the game. There's Coach Scott Spinelli right there, former college hoops coach, uh, also an analyst right now, at Coach underscore Spinelli on Twitter, and a part of the Believe Podcast Network does a really good job, and we definitely appreciate his time. Great breakdown right there of both the Celtics and the Warriors, and uh, if you're going to talk Warriors on one end, definitely want to be able to talk Boston on the other end, and so uh, it was very important for me to get Coach Spinelli on, and we do appreciate it. And 343 is the time when we come back. Linebacker coach Antonio Pierce. He was able to talk to the media earlier today. You want to talk about energy, baby. Bottle it up, put it in the can, sell it for two for $5. Antonio Pierce, coming for your throat, coming next. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Hey, Raider Nation, this is Bruce Buffer, and you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920. It's time! 
Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. Coming up at 4 o'clock, Deontay Lee from The Athletic will join the show. Talk all things defenses. The Legion of Boom, the old Pete Carroll style defenses is going out of style now. So what's in? And where does Patrick Graham's defense, where does that shape up? Where Where is that as far as the pecking order? You know, he has some uh, Vic Fangio kind of elements to his defense. Vic Fangio has been a very good defensive coordinator in the NFL for a very long time. That's what eventually led to him getting the head coaching job in Denver. Now, that didn't work out very well. But as far as defensive coordinator, one of the best to ever do in the league, Vic Fangio. Uh, so I know Patrick Graham has some elements of his defense in his defense. So I just kind of want to uh, get the pecking order and, and, and get Deontay's thoughts on Patrick Graham, his defense, and how some of the players in his defense may may be affected by uh, some slight verbiage changes and some slight personnel changes from a year ago, including Max Crosby, including guys like Trayvon Merrick, Jonathan Abram, and others. But we'll do that at 4 o'clock. One guy that's part of this defensive unit, coaching staff, is Antonio Pierce. He was obviously a longtime NFLer, uh, did a hell of a job, won a ring in the league, uh, also was an Arizona State head, not head coach, but he was the uh, defensive coordinator there with uh, with my guy Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards is the head coach there in Arizona State. Now he is the linebacker's coach with the Las Vegas Raiders, and it's so funny when I tweeted out the picture of him earlier today, a lot of people didn't even realize that he was on the coaching staff of the Silver and Black, and he is, and I'll tell you what, he brings a lot of energy, not yelling at you, but he brings a lot of energy, so I can imagine if he was talking to us with this kind of energy, what he's t- what his energy level's like with the guys on the field. So here is linebacker coach Antonio Pierce. What was, your, what was just your first thoughts on the group? kind of watching them and trying to get to know them a little bit. What do you see? Good. Eager group that's hungry to learn. Uh, championship mentality, just from the work ethic. And uh, obviously, we got leadership there with Diablo, um, Denzel Perriman, and Jayon Brown. What's the transition coaching been like for you? Uh, pretty simple. You know, played in the NFL, was on ESPN, talked about the NFL, then four years in college. So went back to school a little bit, you know, and then um, being back here, obviously, with Josh, and Dave and, and Pat, and obviously Mr. Davis allowing me to be here. Uh, obviously for me, it's a, it's a blessing. I'm from L.A., so when I grew up, the Raiders were playing in Los Angeles at the time. So proud Raider fan here. You mentioned Divine Diablo. He got on the field uh, late towards the end of last year. Uh, from the film that you saw and what you've seen so far, what are your impressions of the guy? Yeah, a guy that has a lot of talent, a lot of talent, obviously transitioning from that safety position to linebacker. But there's a lot of physical traits there that, you know, I can't coach, I can't give him. Uh, the mental aspect is what, what we, we're working on, and he's doing a great job of that. Um, what you see is for a guy that's real eager and happy, loves being around the building, loves being in the building, loves ball. I think those are all traits that you want from a linebacker, especially a young guy. I think, first of all, respect, accountability, been there, done it. I mean, there's not too many plays or gap schemes or, you know, route concepts, especially from this offense, because I played them when I played. Um, so right away, you get, you know, that respect from the group. But then more importantly, it's your work ethic, you know, give them the information, give them tidbits that maybe they hadn't heard before or physically doing it. You know, I am in pretty good shape still. I can't physically do it. So that's kind of a blessing for me to go out there and just walk them and talk them through it. Uh, but I think first and foremost, I think they understand and relate to me as a former player, but respect at the same time as their coach. How 
Having played the position um, and, and now seeing kind of how that position evolves, how has the linebacker position evolved over the years? I was a small linebacker coming out, you know, six <laughs> one, two twenty eight. I was considered small linebackers. Now they're they're around two twenty, and that's okay. And I think just that the ability for these guys to play all three downs, to be able to cover, you know, obviously your elite tight ends and running backs, and maybe a slot receiver. That's changed. You know, when I played, it was twenty one twelve personnel downhill. Hell, I was going up against Larry Allen and Emmitt Smith in my rookie year, and I was like, wow, uh, you don't really see that no more. You know, game is more perimeter, vertical, not so much downhill smash mouth football. I'm Vic from the Athletic Cat. It looked like today, like Kenny Young made some plays out there. What are your impressions of Kenny Young so far? What does he bring to the mix? Yeah, Kenny's played a lot of ball, right? He's traveled a little bit, but uh, he's got experience. He's got a wealth of knowledge that he's bringing to the, the room, that he's been in other places, and little tidbits that we can all learn from. Uh, but I think more importantly, he's a guy that knows how to be a pro. You know, he works at it in individual drills. He works at it in practice. He comes to the meetings prepared. He's obviously getting himself a chance to be a good football player. Antonio, Willie Ramirez from the Associated Press. A lot of guys have made transition from the college ranks of coaching to NFL. You're coming from learning from a, uh, a college head coach. You come from someone who has an NFL background, obviously coaching with Herm. Is there some tendencies that you're <clears throat> thankful for that you brought over with you from your time with him? Yeah, definitely blessed. Uh, obviously, Coach Edwards gave me the opportunity to coach in college. Uh, when I played for the Giants, he was with the Jets. So we got a long history. We worked together for eight years on ESPN as well. Uh, but him and Marvin Lewis being on that staff, uh, obviously a lot of knowledge from different aspects. You know, obviously Coach Everett's played in the league as well, right? So when you got two guys like that with, I think, close to almost 30 years of you know, head coaching experience, that's, that's a wild factor. It's a lot of information that I was fortunate to sit in those meetings with those gentlemen and learn and just how to be a coach. Just like you learn how to be a pro as a player, learn how to be a, a, a pro coach is the same thing. It don't matter you're in college, but how you prepare yourself, how you detail, how you check all the X and O's, dot the I's and cross the T's. Those are things that I brought here with me. So let me ask you this as a follow-up real quick. Is you say dot the, dot the I's, cross the T's. Was, it, was the details tougher as a player during this time or is it tougher as a coach for you? Um, I would have to say as a coach because I think as a player, instincts take a little bit. You know, I'm kind of going to play as well. Um, but just making sure you got everything and all the questions asked for the players. The new scheme coming in, there's a lot of things that maybe ran in from where they were at previously or uh, different coaching staff. So I think just having the why and answering the why for the players is the biggest thing. So that's pretty the biggest challenge when you be transition from a player to a coach. Hey, Coach. Heidi Fang, Las Vegas Review Journal. When you think about the Patrick Graham system and how multiple it is, uh, how much of a challenge is it for you to kind of prepare the linebackers for the different schemes that can come up? You got to be able to talk. You got to be able to communicate. You know what I mean? You got to have your eyes open. You know, it's one of those deals where you're in charge of a lot as a middle linebacker or as a linebacker in general in this defense. And I think uh, the backers overall have really taken on, on that ownership of the team, being that vocal leader. And not just the captain part. I'm talking about getting guys lined up, fixing it when it's messed up. I think what Pat has brought to the table is something that's going to make all of us better because you're always thinking, right? You're always kind of just, okay, what's next? What's next? Feed me. And one that, once that happens, everybody becomes a sponge, right? And everybody wants more information. And that makes the dialogue in the room greater. Coach Cassie Soto, Las Vegas Review Journal, you mentioned Denzel Perryman. What kind of swagger does he bring to this group? It takes a certain kind of person to wear a beanie in 100-degree weather. Have you not seen his uh, PJs that he wears uh, to morning meetings, too? It kind of threw me off. He wears his hat. I mean, he's got swag. He's from Miami, right? He's a proud uh, hurricane. Uh, I've known him for a while, uh, obviously. Uh, maybe not on a personal level, but from afar. Uh, what he brings, not only just you know, with swag, but attitude, professionalism, and I, I'll say more importantly, leadership. You know, when he talks, why, the room gets a little bit quieter, 
right? And, and you want that from somebody in your defense. And you really like it from the linebacker position, right? Being biased a little bit. You want the, the meat and the, and the, the heart of your room, in that, of your team, in that linebacker room. And he really carries that. And obviously he has fun doing it. And I think that makes you know, my job easier as well. Antonio, uh, Paul Gutierrez here from ESPN. Having played the position at the highest level, and you always hear about guys that, that play the game at a high level when they coach, they have a hard time because they go, why can't you do it the way I did? Or they don't see things the way you do. How hard is that to kind of cross that line and, and the frustration of that and, and to coach rather than to, to be the player? Well, I think when I played, I, I, I saw myself as a coach on the field. You know, I think I was known for being a student of the game, obviously going up against Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, teammates with Eli Manning. You know, there was a lot of chess masters that we played with one another, Tony Romo as well. So um, I really prepared myself when I played as a coach. You know, I sat there and I didn't probably do the hours like the coaches, but I was in this damn building as much as those guys and studying, preparing myself and making sure as a defense, we saw things the same way. Because as, as a coaching staff, you can tell guys one thing, but when those guys get between the lines, they got to see it the same way. And for me, that transition has been, I would say, pretty fairly easy. What's, uh, what's jumped out watching your offense last couple of days? Some speed out there. There's some speed out there. We got some big boys that can run. And I think more importantly, what Josh has given us with all the different looks and and just movements and, you know, again, you, you watch what they've done in, in, in New England's previous team, what they do. And I think the one thing it's about is just you're not going to be stagnant, right? You're not going to be stagnant. I think that's the best thing about it. It's making us think. It's put, keeping us on our toes. It's making us alert and always checking, like I said, our checks and our alignments and our adjustments. And, again, if you're not dialed in, he's going to exploit them. Coach, you brought over a guy from Arizona State with you and Darian Butler. What are you seeing from him so far, and what is it like just having a guy in the locker room with experience with all that? Yeah, obviously I was with Darian for four years. Same thing I saw in college, a guy that's eager. He's uh, been through adversity his whole life. This is nothing new, undrafted, chip on the shoulder, fiery, uh, eager to play, eager to learn, You know, taking every rep that he can possibly mentally and physically, uh, giving himself a chance to hopefully make this team. All right, guys. Thanks a lot, Coach. All right, guys. Have a good one. Last season, Ron Miles, the secondary coach, was my favorite coach. He was no doubt about it my favorite coach because the energy, the want to, the as a matter of fact that he coached with. Antonio Pierce, I can tell you right now, is my favorite coach that the Raiders have this year. Linebacker coach Antonio Pierce. That is the definition right there of dipping your head into a tank of gasoline, lighting your hair on fire, go full throttle. Antonio Pierce in a media session. That was just a media session with the energy right there. I could appreciate that. 3.59 is the time when we come back. We'll kick off hour number three of Unnecessary Roughness. Deontay Lee from The Athletic will join the show. This is Raider Nation Radio 920.